0: Amen. So we, our church has been preaching through 1 Corinthians. I know we're kind of in the middle of this this section that's in the middle of this this chapter, Um, but we came to this uh, text in our church and actually uh, providentially uh, because this text landed on our 35th anniversary as a church. Uh, We celebrated 35 years and and this was the text and didn't need to pick a a different anniversary text uh, because uh, this text was actually perfect. Uh, because in the end, it's, it's all about how to build churches, right? In, in the flow of Paul's thought, uh, he has, he's made a transition. And maybe if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 3, he started with an agricultural metaphor. He's just finished talking about how, how he plants and Apollos waters, but God causes the growth. He says that you are God's field and we are the laborers, we are the workers. And then in verse 9, he says, you are God's field and then God's building. And so he switches to this architectural metaphor, and 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 that's kind of the headspace that he he takes them into, thinking about buildings. And I can tell you that I'm not, I'm like I'm not like a real building guy. I'm I'm and, and what I mean by that is that I'm, I'm not someone who studies the famous buildings of the world. I don't track architecture. I'm I'm certainly fascinated and have traveled, uh, to some of the large cities in our country and have uh, seen and. Really been blown away by some of the the spectacular buildings that exist. I've been to New York City. It's incredible. I've been to Center City, Philadelphia. Um, I've been to, my dad and I were at the the World Trade Center just months before they came crashing down. We went to the top, uh, to the view of the world and and saw that. Um, I've been to, certainly seen uh, Westminster Abbey and and other places uh, on, on a trip from Uh, that my son and I took, we took to Africa. We went to Uganda to serve some village pastors. We laid over in Dubai on the way home. Um, And we spent the money to go to the top of the Burj Khalifa, which I think is still the tallest building in the world. Um, So buildings have factored into my life. I've seen the the cities in the south and and out west. But what's fascinating to me is, is how God has created the world. And if you think about it, he's created building materials that essentially last and keep their shape and will endure for centuries if not thousands of years if they're not acted upon in destructive ways from the outside or from the inside, right? These structures are impressive and beautiful, and the ones that are, are well-made, you can imagine. There are buildings in our, in our world that have lasted for thousands of years because of the construction materials and the way that God has made them. As long as they're not uh, influenced by outside forces, for example, planes hitting them, uh, or inside destructive forces, water, rot, fire, uh, the way that God has made construction materials, they will last. They'll keep their shape. Uh, for even thousands of years. And again, this is is kind of the the headspace that Paul wants us to be in when we think about the church. We think about the church in general and then local churches in particular. And I think that that in this passage, this is what we learn, one of the things that we learn. We'll let this statement kind of guide us this morning. And it's this, by God's grace, we must build local churches on Christ and with Christ and for Christ. I think that's, that's what emerges out of the exhortation that, that Paul makes. One of the things that we learn here, if we want to honor God, if we want to last, no matter what changes around us, if we want what we do here in our local church to reverberate into eternity, how we build local churches matters. It matters to God. And by God's grace, we, we must build local churches on Christ and with Christ and for Christ. And I know that you and your leaders do want to honor God. And I do know that, that here at BGC, you want to last, no matter what changes around you. And I know that you, you want what you're building together to reverberate into eternity. So... Let's look at this first part. We must build local churches on Christ. And what I mean by that is that kind of connects to that foundation language that he's using, right? Look at verse 10 again. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, Now, there are a few things to note here. First, Paul draws attention to the grace of God that was given to him. And we shouldn't skip over that. He says, by God's grace. And, and of course, it was amazing grace that Paul received from God because he was the world's premier church destroyer, right? He was the one who went around destroying this sect that was growing up around a crucified and resurrected Messiah, Paul hated the church. Paul was persecuting the church. Paul was thrilled the day that he got letters from the high priest to take his hatred on the road, the road to Damascus, to be precise. And and he was aggressively seeking to destroy what Christ had established until what? Until he saw Jesus face to face. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Saul, Saul, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Right? Because this church is, with Christ as the foundation, Christ is so united to and connected to his church that he said, you're persecuting me. but, But don't miss the grace of God. When he says, by the grace of God, that's not a throwaway statement to start a sentence for Paul. You can imagine him stopping his pen at that moment with tears in his eyes once again. That God didn't eviscerate him on the spot. That that God wasn't repulsed that, that Christ wasn't repulsed by him because of his his failures and his sins and his attacks on Christ. That Christ loved him and turned this church destroyer into the church planter like the world has never known. Amazing grace, right? By the grace of God, he, he says, I, I was a master builder, so he moves on to this idea of, of the foundation. And again, he laid the, the, the foundation in this local church. He's writing to the Corinthian church. And he says that that foundation is Jesus Christ. And that's the second thing to note, because there can be no other foundation. It's important to see that Paul doesn't, doesn't allude to the fact that there were options for which to build a foundation uh, that, that a church would be built upon. Uh, he's, there, there is no other option is what he's saying. In other words, if Christ isn't the foundation of the church, then it's not a church. That's, that's as plain and, and simple as it is. I, I wonder if you, you've seen the, um, the Food Network show, Chopped, right? How many of you guys have seen... Okay, for you, if you haven't seen this show, they—it's this chef show, or it's a competition, and they bring out the craziest ingredients, right? And the whole point is they've got to open this basket and put these totally disconnected ingredients together into a, a unified dish that then professional chefs are going to judge. And it's—it's—it's it's, it's almost like a dumpster fire where you know it's the, it's the same show every single time, but you can't not watch it because you're just interested in what the next ingredients are going to be. What's funny to me, though, is, is sometimes the, the contestants will present a dish to the judges, and they'll call it a certain thing, like maybe a certain famous dish. Uh, you know, so for example, they might say, tonight I have made for you a red licorice blackened squirrel gumbo <laughs> over Fruit Loop uh, I- infused potatoes, <laughs> right? And and then the judges will, like, eat the, the red licorice, blackened squirrel gumbo. And then they'll try to, to judge it based on its taste and presentation. But what's funny is sometimes they'll say, they'll say, but wait a minute. It's not a gumbo, though. Like, you're calling it a gumbo, but it's not a gumbo because you don't have the Holy Trinity in there and then the roux with the chicken stock. And, and gumbo served over rice. So just to, to, to clear the record. Well, here's, here's my point. Paul's saying... What what they're saying is that if, if the ingredients necessary for calling a dish aren't in that dish, then you don't call it that dish, right? And what Paul is saying is if Jesus isn't the foundation, it isn't a church. It isn't a church. Let's just get that straight. And, of course, we, we hear this, this foundation language um, in places like Ephesians 2 Uh, He says in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets who all testified to Christ, and Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. We're thinking about buildings here. And in in our text, in verse 16, he says, Do you not know? Brothers and sisters, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anybody destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And this is absolutely staggering. Paul has, has been talking to the Corinthians about this this foundational problem where they have have displaced Christ at the center of their church. And instead, for them, they have replaced Christ with a fascination with worldly wisdom, and that particularly as communicated uh, by impressive leaders. And those impressive leaders to them have, have helped them to form camps around these these leaders. And what Paul, in 17 different ways, already before these verses, he's made identity markers for them and reminders about who they are in Christ. They've forgotten who they are in Christ and what they have in Christ. And and naturally, because of the sinfulness of of our hearts, they are then tempted without Christ being the song that they were singing, All I Have is Christ, they had displaced Christ and now were clinging to other forms of status and identity that were wrapped up in who they thought was the most impressive leader. I follow Paul. Some say I follow Apollos, And some say I follow Peter. And then the most sanctimonious, well, we follow Jesus. You know, step off. You know, and it's, there, there's divisions. But it's because they've forgotten who they are. And we come across another identity marker where he says, do you not know? that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know what's being built here? Do you not know how it's being built here? Do you not know who it's being built upon such that you are the temple of God, God's temple? And it's, it's staggering because in, in this phrase, this is one of the phrases that Paul reminds them of what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Because every other religion has its God, and that God has its temple, and, and that God's requirements for worship and or sacrifice. And of course, the only true God, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and earth, also had a tabernacle. And then a temple in which he would dwell among his people and where he would be worshipped. The temple was where heaven met earth, the place on earth where the very glory of God dwelt. But what nobody ever foresaw was that the temple and all of its holiness and worship and access to God all pointed to Jesus. Uh, Kenny and J. Ross and I just heard Jonathan Pennington preaching on this. Jesus, who, who was the word, and the word who was with God, and the word who was God. And when John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us, the world changed. The world changed in one way because all of the presence and power and place and glory and location of worship and access to God was now in a person, not in a building. And Jesus said, don't you remember about the standing temple, tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up, referring to his death and his resurrection. And then we learn that by his filling of every believer, by the same spirit that dwelt in him, the presence and power and place and glory and location and worship and access to God exists in Jesus Christ who now fills his people and his churches. This is what Paul's saying. Do you not know? That you are God's temple, the very dwelling place of God is among you. He's going to make the argument with regard to our purity that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here he's referencing the local church as the very temple of God. And, And this changed the world because this sent Christianity global. Because now churches would be planted and spread throughout the entire globe. Churches where even when two or three gather in his name, what does it say? He's present, right? So the foundation of the church must be Jesus Christ. And for every true church that has Jesus Christ as its foundation, we are God's temple. So that's so by God's grace, we must build local churches on Christ, on the foundation that is laid, that is Christ. And secondly, we must build with Christ, on Christ, with Christ. And what I mean by with Christ is, is what Paul says when he's, he's talking about these building materials, right? Um, look at verse 12 again. He says, if anyone builds On the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see how the... The choice here is, is really clear. He's talking about building materials, and there's this, this spectrum, right? Each building material listed goes from incredibly durable and valuable and expensive to incredibly inexpensive and highly flammable, right? I mean, that's basically the, the, the list here, the descending scale. And one thing that's, that's important to understand about this text... Uh, also, is that Paul ultimately is talking about leaders in the church. He has said that that you, the church or the field and the the leaders are are simply workers we 're only servants he said that have been given an assignment by God himself, and here the church is the building, and the leaders are the building. and what Paul is saying is that God will judge the quality of the work of the builders, and what 's really really sad, and actually not just sad, but a horrifying reality, is that as a church leader, you can spend a lifetime building a church, and in the end, have nothing to show for it. Uh, that's, that's the implication here. That's what Paul is saying. The fire on the day of the Lord is a metaphor for the testing of the durability of what was built, and the proof of the, the materials that the church was built with. Now, but this doesn't mean, just so you know, that that leaders or Christians for that matter will go through the flames. He's saying your work will go through the flames. Your work is what is going to be tested and, and judged before God. And and he says that rewards or or great loss are at stake, all connected to how you build or better who you build with. Because if wood, hay, and stubble goes up in the flames into nothing, then the question becomes, well, then what is the gold, silver, and precious stones? If I were to poll you today, everybody get out your phone. It's going to be text this number for yes, text this number for no. Do you guys think that you should build with gold, silver, and precious stones? Text this number. Or wood, hay, and straw? Text this number. I'm pretty sure we get 100% on the former, right? Like, let's go for the good stuff, right? The question becomes, though, well, well, what is that? And I believe that the answer is Jesus Christ again. Not just because Jesus is always the right answer to the questions in church, but, but it's true. A building that lasts is not only built on Christ, but is built with Christ meaning that the material that makes for the strong foundation is the same material by which we continue to build. Think about it. If all things Christ are the foundation, all things Christ, then a building constructed with all things Christ, related to Christ, connected to Christ, with Christ and him crucified, and all of the implications of that in all of our lives, then that must be the building that lasts, right? When the birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension and reign of Jesus Christ and all that that means for every moment of our waking lives is what you're building with, then that's a building that's going to last. A building not only built on Christ, but built with Christ. And you can certainly build with the flammable materials of self, for example, mixing in a kind of man-centeredness into the building material where we gather to kind of make much of Christ, but we only really make much of Christ because of how much he makes of us. That's a mixture. Or mixing in secularism or human wisdom or philosophy or mixing in cultural compromise or consumeristic pandering or moralistic conformity. You can build a church with that. Or material prosperity or managerial skill or a workspace based gospel or, or moralistic therapeutic deism. The list goes on and on, right? Or a celebrity culture of leaders. Look, that's that's what was going on here. They had favorites. They the the, the concept of of people rallying around celebrity pastors that, that that treat their ears and their minds the way they want it to be treated has existed since the first century. It's not a modern phenomenon. It's called the heart of man and woman. This is what we do. And you can build a church. As a matter of fact, it's, it's really sad. You can build a big church with these things. You can build huge churches with these Materials. But when Jesus is displaced and doesn't reflect, when Jesus Christ and the aroma of Christ doesn't reflect off of every wall and every board and every window and, and fills the entire building, then you might not be building with Jesus Christ. You might be building with materials that, that are, are going to disappear At the moment, the lick of flame hits them. And of course, the the loss that's going to happen in that moment it's it has nothing to do with our justification before god jesus paid it all all to him we owe the the verdict on that day about all of our sins has been brought to the present and we are justified before god and these these questions of how god judges in those moments there's clear evidence in scripture even here that we're we're judged by our works for for rewards and and what the sense of loss is going to be is is hard to say because we're going to be in perfection at that time. So without trying to to split all those hairs, we just know that you can build a church for a lifetime and have nothing to show for it. If you don't build with Jesus Christ, this is, I like how Alistair Begg says it. He's talking about what Paul's been writing and, and he says all along, Paul wanted to make sure that their faith rested in the power of God and in Jesus himself. And that's how you know if you're building the right kind of foundation in your church, if you're constantly confirming people in the faith and truth and power of Jesus Christ. That's how you know whether your church is having its foundation laid down correctly, if those who are, are your instructors are continually bringing you back to Christ, to his atoning sacrifice, to the power of his spirit, to the fact that there is no one other than he who is head and Lord over all. I'd say not just your foundation, but your building itself. You know when your pastors, who I know are passionate about this and are excellent builders, you know when they are building with Christ, when they are constantly bringing you back to Christ, which is what they do Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, don't they? I know they do. And your worship team, like this morning, brings us songs that take us to Christ and to Christ alone and what Christ has done for us, where we make much of Christ in the world that we all live in all of the lives that you're living and all the paths and all the struggles and the word that came to us about those darknesses and those depressions. What do we need the most? We need Christ, right? We need Jesus Christ. We are desperate for Jesus Christ who offers to us, he offers rivers of living water, not drops, not trickles, rivers of living water is what he offers to us. Is anybody thirsty? He says, come to me. In Christ, we have all that we need. We have all that we want. We have all that we long for. And you know you're a part of a church that's building with Christ when Christ is constantly offered to you. What else do we have? Some mechanism to make you feel, feel good or feel better about yourself or feel better about yourself because of all the, all the people out there who are, who, are, who are terrible? How horrible to, to come into this place with a thirst in your soul that can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ and him alone and to walk out never having been offered him. Look, we need Christ. We want Christ. And Christ freely offers himself to us and promises to be present in local churches that acknowledge that when we gather, he promises to be with us and then to do amazing things in our lives. To actually transform our lives from the inside out by the power of his word and his spirit. Jesus is amazing. He's who we need, he's who we long for, and he's who your pastors are building with and I and I love it. And I know you know you know that. Now, certainly there are a lot of things that churches can do. There's lots of ways churches can draw a crowd. There are certainly no to the fads and strategies and programs and directions that you can go and, and emphases that are that are very important but we are commended to build with gold and silver and precious stones which is certainly a reference to the exact materials that Solomon built with you just go look it up David said we have given gold we have given silver we have given precious stones to build the temple according to the pattern and will of God And now we are commended to build with gold and silver and precious stones. That is Christ, to build a church according to the pattern of God in these last days until Jesus returns for his bride. And of course, just so you know, we have all that we need in Christ. We have all the resources we'll ever need. Look at what it says in verse 18 and 23. And and this connects to his larger argument and his correction of this church who had lost sight of these things and and had attached themselves to worldly wisdom. He says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Right? That's his, his command, his argument throughout. But then he reminds them, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ. We belong to Christ. And Christ is God. Belongs to Christ. Brothers and sisters, what resources in that sentence then are we missing? What what resources do we not have? What secret is there to building churches that exists out there that we haven't found yet? according to the wisdom of the world and the metrics of the world's success. When all that we have, we have all that we need in Christ. All that we have, or all he says is yours, whether Paul or Apollos, it's just incredible what Christ gives to us and offers to us, such that when we build with Christ, we're building according to, To his word. And then here's the third thing by God's grace, we certainly must build local churches on Christ and with Christ and finally for Christ. And it's interesting because if you if you think about kind of the the flow of what he's he's saying here and and capture it in a word or two, I think one word that you could pick is quality. Right? He's certainly talking about quality and and how we're being built which is interesting to a, a culture that really loves quantity, right? We're, we're the more generation, more, more, more. But he's, he's talking about quality, and then I think you could say the word eternity. Because he talks about this possibility of building a work that survives the flames. And that's really intriguing to me. Because we know that the, the first option doesn't survive the flames, and you have nothing to show for it. In a sense, it's eviscerated; it's gone. It's, it disappears in the flames. But he talks about a work that survives the flames, meaning there's a possibility of building in such a way that reverberates into eternity because how you built survives the flames. And he, and he talks about somehow we, we can be rewarded by Christ for a job well done when he's the one that provided the grace in the first place for us to do the job well done, right? So that's the conundrum with rewards in heaven, where if, if I, apart from, you, from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says, right? And then he says, do all these things, and I'm going to reward you. And then there's that whole idea of rewards. Does anybody here know what those rewards are going to be? If you do, can you tell me afterwards, because I've lived my whole life as a boy intrigued by this concept of our Heavenly Father offering us eternal rewards for things we do here. If someone could come up here and tell us, look, for every dollar that you gave to your church today, let me explain to you what that's going to get you for all of eternity, and then told us the answer to that, how would that change your motivation for giving, right? And that's Jesus's whole point. He's like, "Don't store up, you know what I'm talking about." So when he talks about rewards, he gives us the grace to obey him and to to do the things he's called us to do, and then tells us that he's going to reward us, which is fascinating, isn't it? It's thrilling. It's thrilling to think that what we're doing with our lives matters to God and matters for eternity. And we forget that so often, don't we? We're living our lives for the glory of Christ. You are building this local church for the glory of Christ who is watching and is eager to reward you because this is the kind of church that's going to survive the flames because you're building on Christ and you're building with Christ and you're building for the glory of Christ. It's amazing to think, isn't it? This is worth our lives, brothers and sisters. I am giving my life to this. And your pastors are giving their lives to this. And it's a worthy thing to give your life to, something that will last into eternity. So let me ask you, those of you who are are committed here, And if you're new or if you're considering the claims of Christ and and you're you're checking it all out, and maybe this is all new to you, let me just tell you, please know that that in Christianity, it's all about Jesus. We're the ones that mess it up and make it about so many other things. Don't look to us. Look to Jesus. We're at our best when we're pointing at Jesus. But it's all about Jesus. Jesus. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with a Savior who offers himself to you to forgive you of all of your sins, yes, but then to transform your life and to walk with you and dwell with you and change everything about you from one degree of glory to the next. I'd I'd encourage you to consider Christ. Consider Jesus if you haven't this morning. The rest who are committed here, I I just wonder what what kind of church are you building here? What kind of church do you hope to build here? And again, certainly this text is directed towards leaders and how leaders will choose to build and what will last or not. But to the degree that, that that sense that we're all in this together, do you understand the building project that's happening here? Do you see your local church the way that Jesus does? And again, there's a tremendous warning to those who who seek to tear down the church. You can certainly actively tear down a church with with a lot of different things, with heresy, with compromise, also with division and pride, which is going on here. He says for all of those who, who tear down the church, it says God will tear you down. It's interesting, I was studying for this text while in my own time with the Lord, I was reading through Jeremiah. And you know, Jeremiah is just horrible. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's all the failures and the prophecies about the Babylonians coming and, and conquering and eventually destroying the temple and burning it down but it but it's all flavored with this is your fault like we've been war, I've been warning you I've been warning you I've been warning you and even Jeremiah they trash him and and mistreat him because he's the true prophet of God and you finally get through all of this and you know what the last two chapters are all about God destroying Babylon there's this fascinating thing where it's as if, I mean, God's the one who, like, told Babylon to do this, right? I mean, he's kind of there, God's instrument for uh, punishing his people. But God says, look, you tore down my temple, and I have some things to say about you. There will only be dust one day where you stand. And he just trashes and thrashes Babylon. And there's a part that's like, yeah, finally, you know what I mean? It's like, like God is a just God. He will destroy those who are intent on tearing down his temple, which includes now local churches and the destructive effect that can happen because of sin. But let's, let's, let's wrap this up and kind of close where we began, thinking about buildings, well-known buildings around the world. We all know that there was a time, we think about the temple, There was a time where this was the most glorious thing in the world. It was the joy of the whole earth. And the materials, when it was built, uh, were perfect. And the glory of God filled the temple in ways that that are simply unimaginable to us. And the, the light would gleam off of the gold and the silver and the marble for miles around. It was, the, it was the temple of God where the very presence of God dwelt. And yet that building has no comparison to what's happening today through the local church, where ten thousands of temples of the Holy Spirit exist all around the world where the presence of God dwells. From God's perspective, Jesus said, "I will build my church." Jesus loves His church. Jesus is passionate about his church, and Jesus is building His church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. We must build local churches on Christ. Amen. It's the only foundation we must build with Christ. Amen. And we must build for Christ. Look at this, this command he gives in chapter, or I mean in verse 10. He just says, let each one take care how he builds. That's a good word, isn't it? Certainly for us as leaders. But again, to the degree that we're all in this together, church workers laboring together for the Lord, let each one take care how he builds. I'll tell you, I want to spend my life building on Christ and with Christ and for the glory of Christ. And I know that you do too. And by the way, there are, there, are, there are so many churches in this city that are doing the same. Thank God we're part of the body of Christ. There are churches that are doing the same thing in this city. We're doing the same thing in Southeast Virginia. We're part of the Harbor Network. There are dozens of churches that are doing the same thing. And all around our country and all around the world are churches that are building on Christ and with Christ and for Christ and longing for the day that he returns for his bride and takes us into glory. Amen? Thank you for having me. It's been great to see you again. And let me pray. And worship team, you can join me. Father, we just ask now that that you would uh, encourage our hearts by your word. Or that you would now take this to each one of us to consider. And maybe even evaluate. Or we know that the, the rhythms and the routines of our lives can often uh, result in a kind of dullness and a kind of forgetfulness in our souls about what we're doing, what we're even doing, and why we're doing it. And and Lord, texts like these, through the, the power of your word, you have, you have this way of kind of opening that back up and making it fresh again. And Lord, I just pray for myself and for my friends here at, at BGC, Lord, that you would refresh in us a passion for what you're passionate about and renew in us, Lord, a commitment to looking at the right things in our local churches, to celebrating when, when much is made of Christ. Lord, may the, may the best thing about our, our two churches be Jesus. Lord, let the best thing be you, Jesus and what you're doing, and how you're showing yourself faithful, and how you're drawing near to the broken and the weak, how you're forgiving our sins that are 70 times 7 times 70 times 7, but how you offer us life and joy and purpose and presence, your very presence with us. Lord, there's a lot that goes on in church, a lot that, that, that we do, and, and it's important, but Lord, I pray that this church would thrive because you, Jesus Christ, are at the center. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.